The New Testament reading is taken from Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. This can be found on page 878 in the Bibles in the chairs. That's Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Do you keep your Bibles open there at uh, Luke chapter 18? If you've closed them, it's on page 878 uh, of the Church Bibles. Um, thank you so much for having me uh, with you uh, this morning. I think Ken invited me before we'd even uh, made the move uh, to come up to the northeast, uh, but it really is a joy uh, to be with you. Uh, and it's great to be in a passage where I feel like I've got a little bit of expertise, at least, in terms of uh, the, the condition that this particular man has. I spent uh, about nine years uh, working at the Sheffield Children's Hospital as an eye healthcare professional. Uh, I was an orthoptist. Everyone asks what that means. I dealt with squints and lazy eyes, uh, but also children with, uh, who were partially sighted and blind as well. So at least I feel like I'm on some familiar ground as we come uh, to this passage this morning. But what we'll see as we engage with this passage is that the man's blindness is a picture of spiritual blindness, a much more prevalent condition than perhaps physical blindness is. The incredible interaction that Jesus has with this particular blind man is meant to show us and get us thinking about how clearly we actually see when it comes to the big questions of life. How clearly do we see? We might physically be perfectly able to see, but how about spiritually? Are there realities about the world and about the God who made it, that we are blind to. And how about Jesus? Do we see him as clearly as we ought to? Well, let me pray, and that in God's kindness we would. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who reveals yourself to us. And thank you that that happens mostly through your Son, the Lord Jesus, coming to earth as a man to show us exactly what you are like. Father, give us humility this morning to hear you speak to us. And we pray that where we need you to open our eyes, where we are blind to who you are and what you've done, that you would give us much more cl clear spiritual insight than we currently have. Father, teach us and change us by your spirit this morning, we pray. For your glorious name's sake. Amen. Well, as we begin, I've got one simple question for us, and it is, how many blind men are there in this particular part of Luke's gospel? How many blind men are there in this particular part of Luke's gospel? 
Uh, this question really is the key to understanding the whole passage. And um, I'm not trying to trick you. There's one obvious blind man, isn't there? The, the blind beggar who cries out to Jesus, have mercy on me. And we know from Mark's account of, uh, of this particular incident that this man's name is Bartimaeus. He, he's the obvious blind man in the story. Um, but a bit like in a Where's Wally poster, uh, you might see one obvious one, but you have to take a little bit of a closer look uh, before you find the others. And as we step back a little bit from this particular incident and we look at Luke chapter 18 more broadly, well, we see that there are a whole load of other blind men in the story, particularly if we look at verses 31 uh, to 34. We find there are, in fact, 13 blind men, uh, 12 of them are the disciples, because they don't see clearly yet who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And they're kind of hiding in plain sight. And I think the reason Luke tells us about the one blind beggar at the roadside is to help us really understand how it is uh, that his disciples, and in fact everyone else who, who will live after them, will come to receive sight, spiritual sight, and spiritual insight into who he really is. I feel like this morning this, this passage is going to act like a mirror to show us our blindness and our need of Jesus and his saving power too. Let's have a look at verses 31 to 34 together. And taking the 12, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. You see, the twelve disciples can see physically with their eyes very clearly. But Jesus tells them what's coming up. He looks ahead and he says to them, I, the Son of Man, am going to be mocked and beaten and killed, and three days later rise. But they just don't see it. They don't get what it means for him to be their saviour, to be the promised Messiah. They can't see it. Verse 31, Jesus says to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. See, he says. But verse 34 they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They didn't grasp what was said. They're physically sighted but spiritually blind. Whereas in verse 35 to 43, we have one physically blind man who sees spiritually far more clearly than the disciples when it comes to the identity of Jesus. You see, when Jesus comes walking along and he hears, this is Jesus of Nazareth, what does he cry out? He cries out, verse 38, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, let's be clear, he's not mixed up with who Jesus' father is. You know, he knows this is Jesus of Nazareth, whose earthly dad is Joseph the carpenter. So when he cries out, Jesus, son of David... We're meant to see that he has something far more significant in mind. He's understood of this man that's walking along the road 
that there are great promises about him in the Old Testament, some of which we, we had read uh, just a few moments ago, didn't we? When Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, he's saying, I recognize you, Jesus, as the long-promised king who's coming from the line of David. The line of King David, the promised ultimate son who's going to sit on the throne of God forever. It's a loaded phrase with great expectation. And so in spite of his physical impairment, he sees Jesus with 20-20 vision. I wonder how clearly do we see Jesus this morning? The first thing I want to encourage us to do as we encounter Bartimaeus is to see our blindness. See our blindness. You see, if it was possible for the disciples who'd been around as Jesus taught and performed his many miracles to miss the point when Jesus was trying to tell tell them what he must do, then surely it's possible for those of us who've been around Jesus and around the Bible for a while to recognize that it's possible we might misunderstand some things about Jesus too. We need to have the humility this morning to see that there might be things that we are reality blind to. Things that we need God and his mercy to teach us and show us afresh, to sharpen and clarify our vision on. And as far as the Bible is concerned, reality blindness is the fundamental human problem. Reality blindness is the fundamental human problem. Not seeing what the nature of the world that we live in and what the nature of the God who made it is is one of the most significant problems that our world faces today. Just have a look at these uh, verses, these, these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 that are coming up on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul writing about those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus. He says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now when he talks about the God of this world, he's talking about Satan, the devil. And he's saying that every single person who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they they have a serious problem of blindness, of reality blindness, because Satan himself has blinded them to how glorious and good the God of the universe is. And that helps us as we think about the solution to that problem and how wonderful it is for those of us who have received sight to have done so and how we might help others to receive their sight too. Firstly, I want us to see the impossibility of the problem as we see our blindness. Now, in my time working at the Sheffield Children's Hospital, how many times do you think someone arrived at our department blind and left with their sight fully restored? How many times do you think in the nine years that I worked there did I see a blind child walk into our department and leave with their sight fully restored? Not once. In 2,000 years of medical advances, scientific research, and experience treating eye-related conditions, even today, it remains impossible for the blind to receive their sight back. So when the Bible says that those who don't know Jesus are blind, we're meant to see this is an impossible situation. 
And when Jesus encounters someone who is blind, we're meant to see, wow, this is an incredible miracle that he's going to have to work here to do something so astounding to give someone who, was, who has no sight their sight back again. It should help us see that there is a strong connection between the blind man in today's passage and the rich young ruler who appears earlier on in Luke chapter 18. He, he will be familiar to many of us. What did Jesus famously say to the rich young ruler who came to, well, to his disciples about, about rich people entering the kingdom of God? Well, verse 25 of chapter 18 says this. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I think we're meant to take that literally. It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's what Jesus is saying, isn't it? And then his disciples don't get it. Well, they're like, well, if rich people can't go into heaven, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, well, verse 27, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And so then we get to this interaction with a blind man who has an impossible to heal condition. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's no coincidence that Jesus encounters this man at this point in Luke's gospel. The rich young man went away from Jesus sad because he was reality blind. He was blinded by his wealth and his riches. He thought they were what life was really all about. And so even when he came to Jesus and he said, how can I be part of the kingdom of God? When Jesus tells him the answer, you need to go and sell everything, he can't bring himself to do it because he thinks this is what life is all about. His comfort blinded him to the treasure that Jesus offered him as a gift. A far richer and greater treasure than he could get anywhere else. He went away sad because although deep down he knew his need for what Jesus offered, he thought the cost was too high. That's what blindness, spiritual blindness, does to you. Whereas Bartimaeus recognizes Jesus for who he truly is, doesn't he? Although he couldn't see Jesus' physical appearance, he recognized him in a way the rich young ruler had utterly failed to do. As the saviour with, uh, with the power to save him. And so he did the only thing he could do. Cried out to him, verse 38. As Jesus walked past, he cried out, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He knew he didn't bring anything to the table but his blindness. So there's hope, isn't there? If God can heal this blind man, which he can and he did, then he can open the eyes of even the hardest of hearts to see who Jesus truly is and to see the value and worth of knowing him surpasses anything else that the world might offer. And I'm sure we've all got friends, family members, people that we love dearly who just seem really hard to who Jesus is at the moment. You seem a long way off. But God is able, isn't he, to work in their hearts and help them see. This gives us a reality check on our evangelism. As we seek to go and share the good news of Jesus with others, we need to recognize it's impossible for us to actually give people spiritual sight, don't we? It is impossible for us to argue people into the kingdom of God. Just by making a good enough argument isn't going to give them the sight that they need. It's impossible for us to persuade them to believe in Jesus. 
In fact, it's even impossible for us to be the ones that give them the sight that they need to believe who Jesus truly is. Only God in his mercy can do that. You could have gone to the blind man and and explained the mechanisms that Jesus might use to give him his sight back, all you like. You could tell him all about Jesus, but until he encountered Jesus himself and Jesus said to him, receive your sight, he was going to remain blind, wasn't he? And that's the nature of evangelism too, isn't it? Our job is to invite people to come to Jesus. Our job is to point them to the great eye doctor as those who were blind but now see and invite them and say, come, look, I've received my sight from the one man that can give everyone who comes to him sight if they put their trust in him. If you want to see what the world is really like, come and meet Jesus. That's the work we're involved with, isn't it? It's an impossible problem, but not for Jesus. And as we recognize the, the impossibility of the problem, we also need to recognize that there is opposition to the solution. Now, there's all sorts of reasons that even when people know their need of help, they don't get it, isn't there? That's true in all sorts of areas of life. Perhaps uh, it's particularly true when it comes to spiritual matters. There are all manner of reasons and excuses and roadblocks that stop people coming to Jesus to receive the healing, the restoration, and the new life that only he can offer. It would have been easy, wouldn't it, for Bartimaeus to give up. After all, the crowd, as Jesus comes along, just tell him to be quiet, don't they? Verse 39. Those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. They were basically saying, look, Jesus isn't interested in people like you, Bartimaeus. You've got a big problem. You're poor. You're a beggar. You can't even see. Jesus hasn't got time for you. He hasn't come for people like you. It would have been very easy to think, for him to sit there and think, well, maybe Jesus isn't interested in me. Maybe I should be quiet. Maybe I should stop walking this path. Perhaps you thought similar things yourself. If you're here this morning and you're looking into what it might mean to follow Jesus, perhaps you've, you've been put off by your experience of other Christians at some point in your past. Yeah, perhaps you've experienced Christians who are self-righteous or proud or judgmental and they've left you feeling like church isn't a place where you're welcome. Perhaps they've left you feeling like Jesus isn't interested in you. And if that's been your experience, I just want to apologize. Because a church shouldn't be a place where you feel judged as you walk in the door. It should be a place where you feel welcome. Welcome to come and encounter the one who can heal your soul. In that sense, Bartimaeus is a picture of every true follower of Jesus. Jesus famously said in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't he, that Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus hasn't come for those who look shiny and like they've got it all together. He hasn't come for those who look super spiritual. He's come for those who are poor in spirit, those who are broken. Those who know their need and who come to him with open hands. Every one of us in that sense is a blind beggar. All we bring is our poverty and our need to Jesus. And as we do that, as we do that, we find Jesus shows the same compassion, the same mercy, the same love and care to us as he did to Bartimaeus on the day that we're thinking about this morning. And so our churches should be hospitals, shouldn't they? 
for sinners. Not galleries for saints where we come and show how great and good we are. Every Sunday we should think like that, shouldn't we? This is a place where I'm coming to with my need, with my brokenness, with my sin. To be restored, to be encouraged, to be helped. All the voices around us in our culture are basically trying to discount people coming to Jesus and saying, don't do that, that's a rubbish option. Trust science. Trust human reason. Trust your leaders. Trust yourself. But don't trust Jesus. That's what we hear all around us day by day, isn't it? Perhaps people at work, people at school ask you, why, why do you go to church? Why do you bother with all of that? It's outdated, isn't it? Well, remember, only Jesus can make the blind see. Only Jesus can deal with our fundamental problem. He delivers when no one else can. So it may be that you're here exploring the claims of Jesus for yourself this morning. I just want to encourage you to keep going, like Barnabas, sorry, like Bartimaeus did. He didn't give up when the crowds tried to silence him. In fact, he cried out all the louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And you know what? That's the kind of prayer that God in his kindness loves to answer. So if you are currently exploring what it might mean to follow Jesus, just ask him to make himself more clear to you. Come to Jesus with confidence, knowing that he cares so deeply for you that he was willing to face the humiliation of all that is described in verses 32 and 33. The mocking, the flogging, even the cruel death on the cross in your place in order to heal you at the deepest level, rising three days later so that you can share in his new life. Well, we've seen our blindness, but we also need to see our saviour this morning. See our saviour. And the invitation of Jesus is just incredible, isn't it? Verse 40, Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus didn't really need to ask him, did he? What an incredible question from Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? I wonder how would you have answered if Jesus had asked you the same question this week? If Jesus had rocked up at your house this week and said, what would you like me to do for you? Our answer to that question will actually reveal what we think is most important. Now, Bartimaeus could have asked for money, couldn't he? He was poor and unable to work, begging at the roadside. That would have been pretty useful. He could have asked for food. He's probably pretty hungry as well. But then again, he could have asked anyone for those things. Maybe he could have asked a deep theological or philosophical question like the rich young ruler did. But none of these would actually have got to the root of his problem, would they? He knew his deep need. 
And he also knew Jesus' great power and compassion. And he doesn't miss the moment. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Just pause there for a moment. Don't let the familiarity of the story blind you to the wonder of what's just happened. We've already thought this morning, this is impossible for a blind man to receive his sight. And so as Jesus says to him, he speaks these simple words, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. We've witnessed Jesus doing the impossible. And it's slightly lost in our translation, but when Jesus says to the man, your faith has made you well, it's literally your faith has saved you. Now back in verse 26 of Luke chapter 18, the disciples asked Jesus, well, if it's more difficult for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, then who can be saved? Here's Jesus' answer. Here is Jesus' answer. Who can be saved? Those who have faith in Jesus. Those who put their trust in him. Who know him as the one who has the power and the compassion to save them and ask him to do so. It is that simple. The salvation that Jesus offers always comes through faith by God's grace and kindness alone. And so for those of us who've been Christians for a while, we need to keep reminding ourselves that it is always that way, don't we? We are only his people because he in his kindness has opened our eyes to see. He in his kindness has brought us into his family. We come with our empty hands and our sinful hearts. And Jesus should make all the difference in the world. This is the final thing I want us to see this morning from this passage, is that the impact of Jesus. Bartimaeus' life is utterly transformed by this interaction, isn't it? The miracle of sight isn't the end of the story, but the beginning. Bartimaeus here begins a life of following Jesus, a life filled with joy. Have a look at verse 43. Immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. You see, Jesus is disruptive. You can't meet him. Just just meet him, receive his healing, and then move on. You can't just return to following your own trajectory without him when you've encountered a man like him. And this will, or at least should, have an impact on those around us as well, shouldn't it? When all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Now, I suspect many of us here this morning will have received the new sight that Jesus offers many years ago. The question for us is, are our lives today 
marked by the same commitment to following Jesus that we see in Bartimaeus? Are our lives marked by the same joy that he expresses? Do do we take time to ponder the wonder of what Jesus has done for us? If we'd been physically blind and received our sight, we would wonder every day, wouldn't we? How amazing it was that we could enjoy the beauty of God's creation, the colours of the rainbow. We, We could look out and enjoy it all in a way which we never could before. Only Jesus has done something far more precious for us, hasn't he? He's given us a kind of sight that we could never have on our own. There was a time when we were blind to the reality of the world, blind to who Jesus is, utterly cut off from him, and now each day we get to enjoy life with him. So are our lives marked by this same kind of commitment to him? Or have we begun to lose sight of the miraculous restoration of sight that it took Jesus' death on the cross to bring for us. I wonder, are we developing a blind spot to our need for Jesus? Beginning to think that maybe it is something to do with us rather than of him. Have we begun to think that we can do it alone? Having received sight from him, now we're just going to go it alone, walk our own path. Well, even today, Jesus comes to us in great compassion and says, what do you want me to do for ye? I want to encourage us to ask him today to restore our sight again, to help us see him even more clearly than we do already. So that even through the time of great uncertainty that we're living through politically, practically as the costs of living are increasing during this time of war so that we can see our world and the saviour of it with 2020 vision and live in the light of what is real living by faith in the son of David the long promised Messiah who as verse 32 describes was delivered over to the Gentiles was mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon He was flogged and he was killed and we'll be remembering Jesus' death in our place in a few moments' time as we share the bread and the wine together. We're looking forward to his glorious return. So let's pray as we share the bread and the wine together that we would see Jesus for the great treasure that he really is and live for him every day. Let me pray for us with that in mind. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are the God who can restore the sight of the blind. Thank you that you have given us the privilege of seeing Jesus for who he really is. Father, forgive us for times when we slip back into ways which uh, live as though we don't really see the world as it is. But when we think that uh, it is more about us than about you. And we pray more and more that we would treasure Jesus and see him, see him more and more clearly as our only hope in this life and the life to come. For your most glorious name's sake, we pray. Amen.